Hi, this is Robert Reese, and welcome to the Middle Market Transformative CEO Show with my co-host, Joe Brusuelis, Chief Economist of RSM. We interview top middle market CEOs so you could gain insights onto how to grow your own business and become a transformative CEO. Hello, America. This is Robert Reese and Joe Brusuelis on the Middle Market Transformative CEO Show. And our guest today is Travis Holman. How are you, Travis? I'm doing great. Thank you. And before we start, let's just define what the middle market is. Joe? All right. The middle market is 200,000 firms that have revenues of between $10 million and $2 billion. Now, they employ one-third of the entire labor force, and they account for 40% of U.S. GDP. So it's a very important part of our overall economy. And Travis's firm is dead center in the middle of that. So, Travis, let's talk about, let's talk about your business because we're going to talk about lockers, yep. then we're going to talk about what you're doing internationally, and we're going to talk about an unbelievable program you've, you've built called Health for Your Culture, but we'll get there later on. Okay. But for now, I want to start out. There's was, there was a curse on the Cubs. They hadn't won in you know, a lot of years, 100, 110 years. It was a, it was a long something. time, yeah. And, and, and supposedly, you building the lockers, you had something to do with them winning. I don't know if it's a rumor yeah. or not. You know what? We built the lockers uh, for the Cubs. It, lockers were really old. Of course, stadium's really old there. We built them the year that they won, and uh, we would take full credit for them winning the World Series. <laughs> so yeah. tell us, you're, you know, a sports business is unlike any other business, right. and you fill a really unique niche. How do you go about demonstrating the value proposition that you bring to either a, a team or a university? You know, it's really funny. Um, in the sports business, the biggest buyer of lockers, the people that spend the most money are the universities. Yeah. They're going, the universities, um, you know, I'm not going to get into the what I think about it, but they've got a lot of money. They've got right. more money than the NFL and everybody else does right now. I mean, and the thing we want the listeners in. to know is that those locker rooms that you build, that's part of the recruiting process. That that's is part of the facilities. So it's, it's, it's instrumental to their value proposition, right? So their value proposition is to bring lockers. And what people don't understand about lockers, it sounds it's just an easy thing, but it depends. Golf course, wherever you are, that's the only personal space you have inside of a building, inside of another person's business. So if you're playing football, if you're going to go to uh, Texas Tech and they've got a great spot and you've got your iPad hookups and whatever, you've got a really cool spot to go to. If you go to another school, you don't have that. Your, your personal spot is different. So it's kind of like giving it's – a, it's a unique thing to give a kid – and it's a unique uh, recruiting tool that people don't think of. Well, now everybody's kind of catching on to it, but it gives them an opportunity. That's why the colleges spend so much. The pros, not as much because um, they're paying their, their people and they don't need to. They'll give them more of a basic design. But usually the, our college uh, sports spend over twice as much as like a pro team would do. Well, same thing. so tell me how pro operation looks for, for okay. your business, right? Is it a one-off or are you considered a – permanent contractor or, or, or permanent vendor who's going to improve those facilities over time? Um, well, how we run our business is, is unique in our industry. Um, we try to do contracts. And, um, for example, at Texas A&M, we do all of their stuff. So we make them a deal. We, what we do is we increase their warranty levels. Um, we give them price reductions. And we give them – there's other things that we give them. We put it together in a package. And then we're able to – Go in and say, here's your package. Don't go out for bid for anything else. We're going to give you 10-year warranty. We're going to give you lifetime warranties on these things. And we're able to create a unique 
value proposition for them and which they have to sell to their board of regents. But we've been able to do that with a lot of very high-profile universities, and it makes their buying easier, um, and it gives them opportunity to deal directly with the locker manufacturer and get the latest designs instead of going through architectural firms because we'll actually do all their drawings and all their design work for them. Let's talk strategy. So you grew up, um, your dad started the business in the 1970s. You come in 2002. You completely changed the structure of the business. Talk about what's going through your mind, how you come up with the strategy, and you, and you find this niche. Well, um, you know, we were a, a racquetball and squash court manufacturer for a long time. We got into lockers. And then um, in the 2000s, um, my dad was running it, and uh, we got into all sorts of stuff. Um, we got into cabinets, and we got into a bunch of other furniture and a bunch of other things, basically anything that we could manufacture. We got really diluted. And the company actually in uh, 2008, um, I stepped away from the company for a few years. In 2008, 2009, they had a rough time. In 2011, I came back to the company. And and that was pretty intelligent. Good yeah, time to leave. Good, good time to leave <laughs> back, and come right? back, yeah. And I came back, and um, when I did, I bought the company, started my purchase in 2011, and took over. And then, you know, we just looked at what we were doing, and we were doing everything bad. We were making bad lockers. We were making bad cabinets. We were making bad furniture. We were making everything we weren't Low quality? Not low quality. And the quality was always good, but it was – the design wasn't good. And, you know, we we were just trying to – just trying to do everything for everybody. And so um, one day I just was out, and I was talking to some people, and I came back the next day, and I said, we're closing down these divisions. And – we shut them down within like two weeks, and I said, we're just going to be the biggest. At that point in time, we were the third largest uh, U.S. locker manufacturer for nonmetal, and um, we were about a $6 million business, and we said, you know, we're going to just uh, get rid of everything. And since then, we've had a tremendous growth. You know, today's 2018. We're going to we'll top in the mid $65 million range now, and um, our biggest competitor is $4 million bucks. So we just totally dominated our industry, but it was a, it's a complete focus on one product, one thing. And, um, and then what we do is we, now we've, we've got a focus to make the best product you can make. So if it's designing new locks, new hinging, new whatever, we have a design team. We actually go out and work with our suppliers to design new product. And we'll walk through, I mean, I walked through the clubhouse here and, and saw something that I'd never seen before. I'm like taking pictures. I'm like, we're going to, copy that so we're always trying to make the best product possible and because of our buying buying power now we're able to really enhance what we can deliver to the customer and um, at a very good uh, value proposition today so you recently uh, started your first form bound operation can you walk us through that give insight and if you could give insights to say the ceos out there who might be thinking about doing that exact same thing you know, it's kind of, um, you know, we start, we invent, developed a lock um, that's, it, it's, it's in uh, Soul Cycle and Equinox and Lifetime Fitness and all those places have this lock that we developed. And uh, we developed it years ago. It was be- being built by some partners in Taiwan and that thing went sideways and we kind of got stuck. And my dad was um, actually living part-time in Thailand and we decided not to go to China because China doesn't really protect your intellectual property. And uh, so we went to Thailand, started making it there. And then the, um, 
I mean, it just works out. The the guy that we're making with, he started borrowing money and these loan sharks in Thailand. It sounds like a third world country, but that's what it is. And they were coming after him and kind of drowning his cash flow. And uh, so we made a decision about four years ago to uh, start a plant in Vietnam, which we just got the paperwork finally done after about three years of working on it um, about four months ago. And so we are American owned. We're American company that actually owns a Vietnamese uh, corporation, which is very unusual, very hard to get. Um, but the Vietnamese is just great. There's no tariffs on that stuff right now. They've kind of stayed under the radar. They kind of just keep under the radar, and um, it's you know works good. We have two minutes till break, but there is something that I know has been a real inspiration for you. You know, you grew up and. And in third grade, your teacher said, oh, you're the, the dumbest kid in the class. And, That's right. But it's somehow that was the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Talk about that. Well, I grew up interesting. I had leg perthes disease, so I was in a wheelchair. And then in, in third grade, and I was still in a wheelchair, and they got told I had, couldn't read anything. And the girl said, I'm the dumbest kid ever. And you know what? It just kind of something just started. I, just got, I got out of the wheelchair about a year later. I, I was in it for five years. And I just said, hey, I can do something. And then what happened was I got to Jesuit High School up in Portland, Oregon. And my, I was a sophomore. I'll never forget. I was a sophomore in high school. And my foot, one of my football coaches is religion. And he said, hey, read this thing. And I looked at him and said, hey, I have dyslexia. I don't have to read in the class or whatever. And he didn't say a word. After class, he said, listen, stay. I stayed. And he goes, you know, it's basically that's a bunch of crap in nice terms. And I'm going to make you read every single day. And don't make any excuses. And I had to read. That was like day two of the year. And I had to read every single day in his class all year. And um, it just taught me that all you have to do is really focus and get over it. So how has that manifested itself in business specifically? I, I think I'm very tenacious. And I really, um, really, it, it gives me a different perspective on people. You know, when you have a lot of uh, Hispanics, a lot of you know people that English isn't their first language. And when they don't get something... I understand that they might not get it, and they might be dyslexic, and English is their second language. What a difficult thing that is. We never think about stuff like that. So I think I give people a little bit of a big benefit of the doubt. And also, um, I'm really focused on, we're really focused on uh, education and making sure that people have a way to better themselves. And it might be, you know, like I said, if they're Hispanic and English is their second language and they're dyslexic, it's, they can be in some tough spaces, and we've we got to understand those spaces and help them get out of it. Okay, we're about to take a break. What is the website if someone wants to look you up? Uh, Holman.com, H-O-L-L-M-A-N.com. We're about to take a break. We're back in a few. Okay, I'm Joe Brusuelos, back here with the Middle Market Transformative CEO radio show. We're with Travis Holman. You have something called Holman Helps inside yeah. your company. Take some time to tell the market what that is and what role it plays in your firm. Okay, this is, I think, one of the, um, this is the thing we're most proud of at our firm. Um, about, I'll give you the whole story. It'll take five minutes maybe. But about um, two years ago, I'm doing payroll checks at the end with bonuses for Christmas. And I'm looking at what we're paying our people, our hourly people, most most of the plan. I'm looking at their bonuses and then I, I go down and I'm making all my contributions to all my charitable contributions. And it just kind of made me sick. I said, why aren't we helping our people out? 
So I figured, I, I guess, you know, I need to figure out how to help our people. And then what happened was everybody talks about these transformation, you know, these transformative companies and companies with purpose and people want to do stuff as crazy as, you know, hey, let's go, all go, our company wants to save a whale or whatever. Well, I really was thinking about it. I said, what does the company really want? What, what, what's going to give people a real purpose to be here? What, what really matters to people? What do they want? And I'm looking at these people sanding all day, making eight, 10 bucks, 12 bucks an hour. And they're doing it every day relentlessly. And, um, so then after, so I'm thinking, I've got all this on my mind. Then I went to a, to a leadership thing with, uh, Richard Branson, which, which is a friend of mine. We sat there, him and I, and a couple of people for five days talking about stuff. And it was just education, education, education. And then finally, uh, we just started talking it through. So what we've done is we've created a program that anybody that works for us can go to college for free. They don't ever have to graduate college. They can take a class. They can take gym class. They can take photo photography. They can take whatever they want as long as they're bettering themselves. Now, they do have to go to class, and they do have to maintain a certain grade level, but they can do whatever they want and just to better themselves. But that wasn't the important part. The important part is that their spouses can go, but the really important part is their kids can go. By letting their kids go, this father or mother that's making, you know, 50 years old making $12 an hour working in a manufacturing plant has a purpose. They are going to get their kids educated for free. And their kids, I've got like five girls. I've got 80-some-odd people in college right now. I've got five girls. They don't even work there. They're all going for their nursing degree. They will be nurses. They will be middle-class people. Their, their family now is working for something bigger than themselves, and they're looking to create a, a – they're looking to get out of poverty and out of the spot that, they've, that they're, they're in. They've, their hard work, their effort – is going to lead to something in the future. And by not giving it to their kids, you're not helping them. By allowing their kids to go, their kids, I've had people that come up and hug me, and they're like, my kid got a GED, he dropped out of school five years ago. You know, now he's back in college again. And it's just that thing. So we're, you know, all these big leaders talk about how to change the world, right? Maybe I'm not that big of a leader, but... I know how we're going to change our community and our people around there. We are going to touch, you know, we've done the math. We can send over 1,000 people per semester to college just based on the numbers of our 250 employees. I mean, it just gets big. And then not they can go to school forever. I don't, we don't, there's no stipulation on it. I didn't want to say, yeah, you've got to go get a two-year degree or four-year degree or whatever. They can go to school for 10 years as long as they're becoming better people and they're learning and they're actively becoming a better part of society we don't care how long they're in school for. We're going to pay for it, and we're going to push it forward. And what that's done is it's united everybody together, and it's given the people in the plant a purpose that is so different than nothing about than saving a whale or going out and you know doing a charity thing where you go out and work in a food kitchen or whatever. Which a lot of people that's great stuff, but this is they're working so their kids can be educated. They're working for their kids can do something better in life than they can do, and that's extremely powerful okay so uh, i i will i don't use this word lightly that is a remarkable initiative with far-reaching impact um one of the few times i've ever heard of that i i'm just wondering you know there's six hundred thousand leaders listening into this 
just talk about how do the economics of something like that work? How can you afford when you get someone who's an hourly worker to pay for their college? They they don't necessarily work, but you know we're probably because a lot of the people they're not even working; it's their dependents. How could you afford to do something like this? And I'm wondering if there are other people listening in if they could afford to do something because the impact is tremendous. It's geometric growth. It's got to be. You got to understand. You got to understand. Like, Home and Inc. is my company. So if I spend hundred thousand dollars on this, it's hundred thousand dollars my wife and I don't take home. But at the end of the day. When's enough enough? You know, I believe in capitalism, but what's capitalism? What's making the money if you can't help people out that are around you? I mean, it's just, it's silly. Do I want to make $20 million a year? Who cares? It's almost like that part of capitalism. We forgot when Henry Ford wanted to pay his workers enough to buy the product, right? Right. It's the same thing. Yes, I can, you know, how big is Holman going to get? I mean, we do Mm -hmm. make incredibly great profits, but if I can't go out and help everybody with me, do I just take them home? Right. You know, I don't know. I, and we decided not to. I mean, we we're, we are very committed to this. Um, I can tell you this, that productivity is up, mistakes are down, everything else. I don't know if that's a byproduct or people feeling proud. I know that no, people that's hug about you when you what come, you'd think would happen. They hug you when you come through the plant. They're excited. Um, I get all the time that they're they're so proud of their kids. Uh, most of them are kids that don't work for us, by the way, that go to this program, and they're just so proud of everything. And so it's just neat. But you got to make a commitment. You know, when's enough enough financially for you, and what are you going to do with it, and how are you going to change the world? I mean, and all the big guys, you know, you all of those guys are doing. I mean, look at Gates has given away billions of dollars. He's trying to change everything he can. I'm not Gates, but we're going to change the people that, are, that matter the most, and those are our people that work for us. And hopefully, they'll change other people, and it'll. It'll grow. And, and the nice thing is, is maybe we end up with some engineers out of it or some more highly trained people that will run our factories in the future that, because we don't know where the factory is going to end. We've heard this thing about robotics for 20 years. It's still not there. But maybe it's robotics in 10 years and then these jobs are obsolete, but the educated jobs are you, still going to be there. You, you're you know? bringing that in. You have about one minute left, and I know Joe has an important right. question. So we're going to end this on a real high note. Good. You're more than just uh, a producer. You're a brand. We are. You, your firm, your wife. Yes. What's it like to live in that world and to operate a business in that world? Oh, my God. Well, you know, obviously my wife, you guys probably know my wife's on The Real Housewives. So it's um, interesting. I get people. I had a person that sent me an email the other day that said she wanted me to do a charity for her and she needed $100,000. That was yesterday. Um, you get customers that are like they see the spending on TV or whatever and they're disillusioned. But the interesting thing, by doing this Holman Helps thing, it, 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 this was just a byproduct. This was not a thought process. But everybody at Holman knows that we have their back. So even if they go out and see my wife and I spending money or doing something crazy on TV, they feel good about what they're doing. They feel good about working for us because they're helping their kids. They're helping themselves. So it's a really u- unique dichotomy. But being a brand is different. I mean, it's being in the limelight is different. It's it's Everybody's scrutinizes the living daylights out of you. Twitter's a bad place. <laughs> and on that <laughs> note, <laughs> a pleasure of having you on this, the CEO show. Thank you.